Hey guys, it's Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So I posted today on Instagram, what feels like the end is often the beginning. And I guess what I want to say is that this is a necessary, important, game-changing moment in history. This needs to happen. There needs to be a zero tolerance for racism in this country and all over the world. And the people have spoken. And I think that there's been a breaking point where we can't stay desensitized to despicable behavior. It has to stop. It has to stop. And I was thinking today that every person who cares about Black lives in this country and all around the world, that is so important for our future. That is so important because we have to care when somebody is dealing with hatred and prejudice, especially something like this has been going on for so long. It's just got to stop. Enough is enough. And this is a fight for humanity. This is a fight for all of our future because why would we want this kind of poison in the world where there's hatred of any kind, right? So this is a fight for our future, our children, their future, so that we can live in a world where there is no tolerance for any kind of prejudice or hatred. And as dark as it is, it's important for people to get uncomfortable. People have to get uncomfortable because that is often the only way people change. I've said this to you before that there is a prayer in Jewish liturgy where in the morning we're supposed to pray to be like a rooster. And people often wonder, why is that? And it's because the rooster is the first one who knows that just when the night looks like it can't get any darker, the dawn is about to break. And so I hope that a new day is on the horizon. And I hope that the dawn is about to break. And in accordance with that, we had an episode planned and we decided it's not the right moment for that. Instead, we decided to compile some of our favorite guests who've been on the show, who are women of color, who are so powerful and so brilliant. And I wish we could just replay the whole episodes because they're so good. But instead, we just took clips from these episodes and they're all just such incredibly inspiring, awesome, powerful female entrepreneurs. And to show our support for Black lives in this country and all around the world, I wanted to make this what we did today. Okay, so first we're going to play a clip from one of the wisest, most empathetic, poetic human beings I've ever known, Morgan Harper Nichols. She's a writer, artist, musician, poet, and she has such a gift of expressing words in a way that speaks straight to your soul. I want you to hear what happened when she had the courage to share her brokenness and then use it to create these deep relationships with strangers who needed someone to just reflect what they were feeling. Let's take a listen. I was really starting to guilt myself and shame myself, just kind of like a mini quarter life crisis, I would say. In 2016, I was sitting at home and it was just like the weight of feeling like a failure just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like it's never hit me before. And it was just something about that night where I was like, I don't know if I'll ever recover from this. Like maybe I'm never going to find 
a pace that makes sense. Maybe I'm always going to be broke. Maybe this is just my life. And it was in that moment that I sat down at my desk and I picked up a journal that I hadn't opened in who knows how long. And I wrote a poem for the first time in years. And the poem starts with, when you start to feel like things should have been better this year, remember Mm -hmm. the mountains and valleys that brought you here. And I just wrote the whole thing down. And then I got ready to close the notebook. And at the last second, I wrote my name at the bottom. And Mm -hmm. the reason why that's significant for me is because over these years of trying to like just trying all these different things, I had actually started a blog that was kind of like anonymous and I started to write there, but I never put my name on it. So I took a picture of it and then I got ready to share it on Instagram. And I was like, no, it's too many people over there. I was like, I'm, I'm going to share it on Pinterest because nobody follows me over there. <laughs> so this is just, this will just be my way of sharing it. Um, I'll just share it on Pinterest and forget about it. So that's what I did. This is in November in 2016. A few months later, I started getting DMs on Instagram. People were saying, hey, did you see this uh, reality star? She posted your poem. Like, there's a poem on her page with your name on it. Did you write that? Wow. And I went and looked at her. I was like, yes, I did. I don't know how she found it, but that was me. Um, that's kind of interesting. And then a few days later, I got another message from someone else who was like, hey, did you see this other reality star? She shared your quote. I was like, I don't know how she found that. I was like, I posted that on Pinterest one time. I was like, oh, wait, yeah, uh-huh. Pinterest. And I went and looked at Pinterest and that pin had been pinned over 100,000 times. Oh, my God. Um Till this day, I don't know where it took off. I don't know how it got to that point. Wow. Um, I mean, I had a Pinterest, but it wasn't something I was really like promoting or sharing. No, right. And I, till this day, I have no idea how that happened. And from there, that one point just started to get shared more and more. And people started to ask me, do you have more of that? And I was like, no, that was just like a one-time thing. But people were asking, they're like, do you have more poems about this? Like, can you write more? And I was like, well, okay. I mean, I don't know what, I, I don't know what's ahead <laughs> anyway. I might as well give it a shot. I might as well try. So honestly, that was the, the launching pad to where I've been over the past two years of sharing art at the capacity that I'm sharing it. And even as I was sharing, I was still struggling with self-doubt and feeling like, this is just a thing to buy the time until I figure out what my thing is. Um, I don't really see how this is going to pay any bills. I don't see how this is going to sustain itself, but I'll just keep doing it because it's something about, and what I learned, one of the biggest things I learned from this is something too, when other people start to talk to you about what you're doing, Yes, it makes you realize like, Oh, wait a second. Like this is bigger than me. Maybe there Mm -hmm. is something here. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what was happening for me. It's like, once I started to read these messages, I'm like, these are real people. These are real people who I don't know who are being encouraged by this. I don't know how they're being encouraged by this. I'm like, this was so deeply personal for me, but you know, maybe there's something to that. And I just kind of had this weird thing where like, I don't want to let them down, you know, because I, I would get messages from people who would say things like, I just lost a loved one and this was really Mm. encouraging. 
And, you know, that's, that really humbled me because it was like, you know, here I am like putting all this pressure on myself, making it all about like, how am I going to make this something? How, and it's like, what if this something was just connecting with one other person one at a time? Like, Mm. what if that's what it's about? So that's what led me to the end of 2017, where one day in October, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to make everything that I put out there about one person at a time. Mm. So I just posted it one time on my Instagram story. I said, hey, if you would like for me to write something for your story, feel free to DM me your story and I'll make something for you. I'll I'll do it for free. It'll be anonymous and private. Like I won't share your name. I won't share your story. Um, Because I I just realized, I was like, you know what, if I keep trying to figure out how everything is going to work in the future, like I'm going to miss these present moments that I'm having right now where people are actively looking to be encouraged. And not that I'm the only one that can encourage them. Like I'm not at all, but it's just, I think sometimes, especially with the internet, it, it can become so easy to forget that there are real people sitting on their phones scrolling just looking for something to just ignite hope in their life or just remind them of what's true so yeah that's that's kind of how I got to where I am now I started that in late 2017 I thought that I might do it for a month or two but it's still going and it's become a huge part of what I do and now I do a lot of freelance. I work with and collaborate with brands and I do a lot of freelance writing. And yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Wow. Okay. So now I want to share a piece from our episode with the awesome vegan chef, Janae Claiborne. You might know her as Sweet Potato Soul, which is the name of her blog, her super popular YouTube channel, and her cookbook. She has one of my favorite stories, and I use her as an example all the time of someone who took the initiative to create something that had so much purpose, and she started it with three people. And she was able to leave her job, and she was able to create something that grew to to such heights. But really, she was able to do it with just a few people. So I want you to take a listen so you can hear what her perspective was on what was needed to start a business. So when I went to New York, I was a vegetarian at that time. So I got a job in a vegan restaurant. And it was there that I started, you know, meeting other vegans. I wasn't vegan yet, but I was influenced and inspired to become vegan working there. And when I finally became vegan in 2011, around the same time I started that YouTube channel, something clicked in me that told me this is what I was, I need to do, you know, forget Mm -hmm. acting. I was already not loving it anyways. And I was looking for something else and I just didn't know what it was going to be. Literally when I became vegan within a couple of weeks, I knew that my my purpose, the thing that I needed to be doing exactly, was helping yeah. other people become vegan. And I didn't mm-hmm. really care in what capacity. You know, I had my blog and yeah. I had a YouTube channel, but you know, those small potatoes. I, you know, I, I had thought about having a cookbook before and like I said, the cooking show. Yeah. But you know, for me it was kind of it was just I was so passionate about being vegan that it didn't yeah. matter like what form my career took. Yeah. I just wanted to help people. So um, I started a private chef company in New York and that was crazy because it was so difficult to get my first clients. And I thought I was going to, I didn't think I was ever going to give up, but I thought I should give up. 
it would be smart yeah. to give up. <laughs> right. But I never did. And I finally got my first client probably six months after starting looking for people. And I was like putting up flyers and like anywhere I thought my, my ideal client would be, you know, like in terms- and just so people understand what was the offer? Was it I can come in your house yeah. and, and do some meal prep for you? Was it I'll be like full time? What was your offer? Everything but full time. So okay. meal prepping, you know, for the entire week, or if you wanted me just for the night, you know, just for a special dinner, say someone who's having like a date night or Valentine's Day. Oh, so, yeah. so cool. Or cooking class. So it took six months and you got your first yeah. one of those bites. Okay. Yeah. First regular client. And I still, I mean, uh, I think of her still because she was oh. my first and then she would refer me to her friends. So what happened was first, I was just cooking for her and her family. And then one of her friends is like, can I get in on that? And they paid me extra to just cook for, you know, cook the same thing. for oh. I just paid more. And then she would refer me to other friends. So I started cooking for other people. This is all on the Upper West Side. And yeah. Um, yeah, from there, I just didn't have to worry about getting clients anymore because people would refer me. And then also I had started my my website, you know, like six months prior. And apparently there were not at least that many vegan chefs in New York, at least not one mm-hmm. that knew how to like do a little bit of SEO. And my website, if you search vegan chef New York or whatever, like iteration of that, I'd be the first one to pop up. No way. Yeah. So for like the next... I did it full time from 2012 to 2016. And um, after I had my first client, it just all worked out. All right. Next up is a piece of wisdom from the amazing Jamila Souffrant. She's the creator of the blog and podcast Journey to Launch, which is all about how to walk towards financial independence and live life on your own terms. She shared some really helpful insights on what it means to invest in yourself and why that investment is the best decision you can make for your finances and for your own fulfillment. And here's what she had to say. I think, especially in personal finance, so the space is very much about not spending money, like saving money and being and optimizing. So that also means a lot of DIY, which I get, and you know, like that's fine. Right. And then there's so much being left on the table. So my biggest thing is that people need to buy more shares of themselves. If you need to buy more shares of you. So what's taught a lot is you buy, you need to buy real estate, you need to buy index funds and stocks. You need to buy all these other things that are outside of you, which yes, the traditional financial advice has merit. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But if you invest in your mindset, so even feeling motivated to do something, whether it's just being in the presence of someone that like gets you going or a skill or something, if you invest within yourself, there's no cutoff to the return on that investment. So whereas, you know, typical stock market and return over the last, you know, since inception has been maybe I think 10% or something, your return on your investment when you invest in your skill set is limitless, right? Like, and so I feel like most people, even whether it's me or you, like there's a risk that needs to be taken. Like there's no reward without a risk. And so, but buying shares of yourself, more shares of you and investing in you, like that's a risk that can't go bad. Cause even if, even if let's just say you do take a leap and you invest in something, right. That's a stretch for you. Just by doing that, I've done things like that where I've invested for the business and for myself, like it's, it was a stretch. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to do it because I'd rather try something than not try something at all. And just the mere act of investing in myself, even without starting the program or doing the thing, 
I instantly changed because I became a person that was confident enough to invest in myself and take action. And that like is priceless. And so I do, I love that you like we were ending on this note of investing in yourselves, which can sometimes feel counterintuitive if you're being taught that, you know, don't spend like save and, you know, be a miser, which I'm not saying everyone's saying that, but I find that that kind of talk in the personal finance space is talk that I also want to change. And when it comes to journeyers and people who want to, have more and be more, it does take investing in yourself. And I don't, yes, part of it is money, but that's going to take time and also resources where it's like, you're going to have to do something different than you were doing before to get the results that you want. I love what you just said. It's like, yeah, you can buy stock, you can buy real estate, but you need to buy more shares of yourself. And you're right. Even if something is just going to help motivate you to do more stuff, I mean, motivation, like where do we find that? You know, at the end of the day, the only way to get results is to take action. And the only way to take action is to somehow fuel yourself to do and stop talking and do it. And I think you have to ask yourself the question, do I want to save $2,000 or do I actually want to get results this year? Right? Have you had people in your life, Jamila, mentors, coaches, who've made an impact on you? Oh, absolutely. And I invested to work with them, like a lot of money too, more than at the moment I thought I could do, but I did it because I knew I was betting on myself. And so it kind of goes back to the self-worth issue that a lot of people actually, they're afraid because maybe they did try something before or you know, they, they like they, they, they let themselves down in the past and like, there's just like, I just don't, I, I can't afford to do this again. And so that's how, you know, you've drawn a line in the sand when you make a decision that that's not going to happen anymore. And I know that I've countless times said to myself, I'm not going to fail at this because I, I invested in it and I'm going to do it. And I don't like care. Even this person doesn't even show up. Like I'm already changed by doing this. And now you're going to hear from one of my absolute favorite people in the world who was on last month. Her name is Patrice Washington, and she's a transformational speaker, a coach, a best-selling author, and she's the host of the podcast, Redefining Wealth. I want to share with you what she said about what being wealthy really means and how you can give yourself permission to stop hustling and working so hard so that instead you can work on healing yourself. Take a listen. I always tell people, if you have a vision for your life, it's your duty and responsibility to protect the only vessel you get to execute that vision. We don't get multiple bodies in this life. You get one physical body, right? And we have been groomed and we have been misinformed for so long that if we hustle and grind, like that is the way, right? We don't really hear enough about ease and flow we hear hustle and grind. And so we see people on social media who are glorifying things like, I have not slept in days. And it's this whole thing about sleeping two and three hours a night. Here's the deal. You look nuts if you <laughs> are sleeping two and three hours a night. There is no way for you to have the physical capacity to receive anything that you say you're praying for. You can pray all you want, and I've been there where I was like, God, enlarge my territory. I want to see the whole world. I was already on a national tour, right? But I was like, I want to go international. And I remember when I was in the emergency again, emergency room again, this is years later, I was there for food poisoning, but they did some tests and they came in and said, you realize you have like way more problems than food poisoning. I'm like, oh, is that so? 
your iron levels are really low. You're extremely anemic. Your hemoglobin levels are so low. Like literally, if you were older, we would be giving you a blood transfusion right now. But we're going to trust you. Gosh. We're going to trust you to get to a hematologist, right? I had been ignoring the signs. I had been ignoring the symptoms. I didn't know shortness of breath was a problem, right? Extreme fatigue, constant exhaustion. But I was like, well, I wore those things as a badge of honor. I wore exhaustion as a badge of honor because I was hustling and grinding and I was building my empire. So I thought it was okay to be exhausted. And especially as a mother and a wife, if my husband or my daughter had ever said they had those symptoms, I would have never let them go that long. But many of us, especially women, we will suffer in silence and we will go along with the symptoms. We'll diagnose ourselves on WebMD and we think that we can fix it and keep going. But if I have such a big call on my life, if I have people to serve, I do myself and my audience and everyone that I was called to help a disservice when I don't take care of myself. That comes first. That comes beyond even knowing what you're passionate about and all the things about purpose and everything else. You have to take care of you. You know, without us, Kathy, where's our family? And look at all the people we serve. What happens? Right? So the very first part is being physically fit, but we follow that up also with being mentally fit. And this is what I wanted to share with you. It is tapping into childhood wounds. That childhood trauma is what causes you to work as if you have not made it. Right? Like, yes, you're always striving and you want to do more. But the truth is you don't have to work to the limit that you still work or that you were choosing to still work at that time that she had the conversation with you. And like you and like all of us, we have these childhood traumas and we have these things that impact how we see money, how we see ourselves, how we see financial success. And much of it is done through different conditioning. So whether those are verbal influences, what did you hear about money, right? If you heard someone say, the moment that you stop working, you lose, or you'll, you'll lose everything, that could be something that's running in the back of your head without you even thinking about it. It's like a subconscious belief, right? I know verbal, there's verbal influences, there's modeling, there's specific incidents, but even if it's not money related, for me, I grew up hearing that I was the ugly one. So I was always the ugly person in the family and I was the blackie, I was the darkie, my lips were too full, my eyes were too weird, I always got made fun of, and I don't mean at school, I mean at home, I mean in my family, okay? So I knew that I was smart, so I leaned into being smart, but I never felt beautiful, I never felt pretty, I was not the pretty friend, right? It was always something, then I go to school, I'm tall, Right? I was 5'10 in ninth grade, so I'm taller than most of the boys. I was really thin, so I used to wear extra clothes. Everything that could be wrong was wrong, and people picked me apart. And it wasn't until I was 25 years old, after three years of therapy, that I could look in the mirror and not cringe and wish that I looked like somebody else. I was a little girl in the bathtub scrubbing my skin because I thought that I was dirty because someone told me I was dirty. And I thought that if I scrubbed hard enough, that there would be something lighter underneath. I was like a a bath away from trying to bleach my skin with real bleach. This is a third and fourth grade child because 
of the trauma that I experienced at the hands of people who said they loved me. And why is that important? I share that because when I look at my life today and I look at all the personal development and the therapy and all the stuff that's gotten me to this place, and I see myself on national television or on stages in front of thousands of people or my face on these book covers, I know that I could not be who I am today if I did not deal with my childhood trauma. And I know that there's so many people who are listening right now. You have all the degrees, you have all the education, you've taken all the courses, you listen to all the podcasts, you are not short on knowledge at all, but you may need to go deal with some childhood trauma that is stopping you from showing up and just doing the things that you already know to do. Because I know Kathy knows we're both coaches. You can tell someone over and over again, just do it this way. Just follow these steps. I've laid out the plan and they will not follow and they cannot follow. It's not a cognitive thing. It is emotional trauma. It is childhood trauma. And your business is only going to grow to the extent that you are willing to heal that trauma. Our next clip is from the awesome Ahayana Angel. She's an author, speaker, entrepreneur, the creator and host of the podcast, Switch, Pivot, or Quit. And she's the founder of Maisie Media. It's a podcast production company that works with shows that are all hosted by women of color. And what I want to highlight from Ahayana's episode is how she was able to quit playing small, get over that imposter syndrome, and step into her worth. So here we go. We have to allow our voices to be heard. We have to allow ourselves to be seen in spaces where we may think we don't even deserve to be. These are all ways that you know that you're playing small. Mm -hmm. And my thing is, I just want you to constantly use quit playing small as your mantra. When you get into a situation where you feel like your idea isn't good enough, or you feel like people are not going to appreciate the gestures that you're doing or the moves that you're trying to make, or you find yourself being distracted by other people very easily, I want you to just tap yourself on the shoulder and remind yourself, quit playing small. Quit playing small. Yeah. That internal conversation, that's what we want to try and reframe. And you hear people say mindset shifts and all that, but sometimes that can feel really, really hard. Yeah. And it can also feel impossible. Right. I have to constantly tell myself, think in favor of yourself. Act as though everything is supposed to go in favor of you because it's so easy to get on that negative train and ask yourself, why would they pick me? Why would they think my stuff is a good idea? Why would they want to give me this money to do X, Y, Z? Why do I deserve that amount of money? Like all these things. But in, in reality, it's like we deserve everything. There's no one who has lived this life before you. You are uniquely you right? So you can't compare and you can't look into the future and say, oh, the Ayana of the future, she didn't get that. So why should I expect it right now? Because ultimately she didn't get that. No, you don't know what your future looks like. There's no one who has run this race before you. So the only thing that you could do is actually show up, quit playing small, put your best effort forward and do what you can for yourself in yeah. favor of yourself right now. Yeah. That's so good. And you're so right though, like to meet people where they're at. This mindset work is huge because if people have suffered any kind of loss or grief or rejection, they've internalized at a really early age in a really fundamental way. Like I'm not good enough. And when I do put myself out there, this is the negative thing that I, I experience. And so everyone's been through that negative stuff. Mm -hmm. So how were you personally able to rewrite it and break through those limiting beliefs? And how do you teach other people to do that? You know, it's a constant journey. I, I don't want anyone to think that 
I am on the other side of it or all these other people are on the other side of it and you're stuck there in limbo trying to work your way through it. No, we're all trying to work our way through it. It's a constant work in progress. And for me, I really do rely heavily on mantras and telling myself things like think in favor of of yourself instead of thinking against yourself all the time. It can be as simple as I get an email about something. Maybe it's an opportunity. I respond back. And maybe let's talk money a little bit. Maybe I tell them my rate to do something. And then after I send it, I'm like, why would they pay me that? Am I really worth that? Or what are they going to say? Oh my gosh, I should have said something lower. You know, all of these things. But then I have to tell myself, no, you're worthy. You deserve this. And you have to start really checking in and saying, hey, what have you done? Why did they, they came to you. You are fully deserving of this. So I think it's just constantly being aware, self-aware and aware that you're the person that controls the narrative and that real and those bright red blinking lights that are going off in your head. You're the person that controls that scroll. So either you're going to consciously make an effort to change the scroll or you're going to let it keep blinking the same thing and worry you and not allow you to get to where you want to be actually. Yeah. And now I want to feature this piece from an episode we did recently with some of our students, which included the awesome Gail Keys Allen. She's a life and money mindset coach. She's also known as the midlife money maker. She's such a force to be reckoned with. And one thing I love about her is that she does not let excuses get in her way. I think what you're going to hear will light a fire inside of you too, so you can go ahead and do your thing. Here's Gail. Tomorrow, I will be 64 years old. And I love telling my age because... I want other people that think they're too old to step up, step out, Uh, and do their thing and do not worry about your age because the age doesn't matter. Anybody can make whatever they decide they want to make. So I had been brainstorming, like I already was a health coach and I knew I didn't want to do health coaching anymore. So I was already brainstorming, like, what can I do next? What is my next move? And I'd say it was God. And I'm not a super religious person, but I am spiritual. I just, God just said to me, you have to become a money expert and not a money expert with budgets and spreadsheets. I mean, I have a degree in economics, a money expert in that, you know, that you are worthy of making as much money as these famous people are, that you are worthy of doing something that you love and enjoy and using your gifts. So I I had that piece already. I just didn't know where to go. And I told my daughter that somehow midlife moneymaker was given to me. It just was dropped into my spirit. And it just resonates so much. And it's not even really just about money. It's about worthiness and believing in yourself and knowing that you have value. Um, So when I did the challenge, I halfway did it. I was busy and missed part. But then when you made the offer, it was just like, I got to be there. And the thing that resonates so much with the program and with you, Kathy, and it's given me permission is... I have a messy life. I've been sick a lot. I have a lot of challenges and those things used to get in my way. And the interesting thing is during the course, 
I went to urgent care twice. I had some weird virus that they still don't know. I had to get breathing treatments and I'm still dealing with asthma and allergies that I don't even know where it came from. I never missed a session, not one. I caught everyone live. I did the work. I showed up messy and the spirit and the energy of the people in this program, it was like wind underneath my wings. So I'm just exploring and experimenting. I I offered free coaching and several people in the group took me up on it and got on coaching sessions with me. I'm just being of service and exploring and enjoying it all. The connection that I've made with people and the outpouring of love and gratitude that people have expressed to me has just opened me up. And when you talked about, like, I grew up a little black girl, poor, being told that I was nothing, you know? And here I am, 64 years old, doing my thing, doing my thing. And it's like, my hair is crazy. I have a mohawk, a gray mohawk. I have a nose pierce. I'm just a messy person who's being me and doing me and showing up. And I just want to encourage everybody who doesn't know where they fit in to just keep pivoting and trying and showing up. And I've done so many programs, and this is the only program I've ever done where I did everything. Even you showing up with your kids online. Like, I've been watching my grandson because my daughter works in a, in a hospital, and I'm showing up with the baby. I'm showing up messy. I'm showing up with a hoodie on. I'm just showing up. I just feel so, so blessed because I I did used to feel like society does send out these messages that if if you're not this age or when you get to a certain age, you know, you're has been or whatever. And I want to blow out all of those myths. I want to destroy them because it's not true. And I want to give people life and energy to know that they can do it till they die. Like you said, till the light, till the light on the taxi goes out. And I want to mention too, that my, one of my best friends died um, from the virus too, during this course too. I mean, I experienced a lot of messiness, but people held me up and I just felt that I could keep going. Whereas in the past, You know, I've had a lot of medical issues and I just kept giving up. And now I know I can keep going, make it messy, pivot, do it my way and keep doing it. Next up, we have another awesome member of our community, Tami Makanjula. She was one of the first listener success stories we ever shared on the podcast. She's a vegan chef, a cookbook author and blogger at Vegan Nigerian. She was born and raised in Nigeria and then spent her teenage years growing up in the UK. And she's the perfect example of what is possible when you really get resourceful and let yourself explore different avenues. So I want you to hear what possibilities she's now created for herself and how she was able to take her income to a whole other level. It was sort of in the middle of my university degree that my journey with my veganism and my business actually started to to grow. I decided to go vegan um, after a bit of research and just listening to my body intuitively and realizing that, you know, I wanted more energy and I wanted to feel healthier. And it was shortly after that that I started my food blog, The Vegan Nigerian. 
and I really didn't know where it was going to go. I just started it because I thought, you know what, I want to show my family and friends that it's possible to still enjoy all the amazing Nigerian food on this lifestyle. And the more I did it, the more I loved it. And the more I saw that there was really something in here that, you know, gave me so much joy and gave me so much just life, really. And I wanted to share that with other people. And so through the blog, I started sort of looking into different ways that I could reach people in person. And a pop-up restaurant was one of the ways that I could do that. So a pop-up restaurant essentially uh, is when you just hire out a space uh, for a short amount of time, could be as little as an evening or maybe a couple of days. And you really own the space. You turn it into your own restaurant. You plan the menu yourself. You sort of arrange for your guests to arrive, uh, cook the food, serve the Love food. It. Um, yeah. it's, it's a whole long process. How it actually started for me, I was still working at the vegan restaurant when I did the first one. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't spoken to anyone about my blog or what I was doing on the site. But the manager actually discovered it by accident. And so she came up to me and she said, I saw your blog. What, what are you doing with it? You know, like, what plans do you have? And I remember sort of being a bit taken aback because I hadn't really thought too much about what I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. just out of the blue, I said, oh, you know what? It would be quite nice to do like a supper club or a pop-up. Mm-hmm. And then she said to me, well, why don't you just use the restaurant space one of these evenings, you know, uh, on an evening when we're closed, just give it a go. And she kind of gave me that sort of extra boost of confidence and wow. encouragement. Wow. And I did it. Um, I got my friends along to help out. I sort of tapped into the network of people that I had sort of already met through blogging, through Facebook, through sort of being on, on social media. And I said, hey, guys, I'm actually bringing this to life. Would you like to come along and try it out? And yeah, they came and I was shocked. (laughs) I was really, really shocked. And so after that first one, I still thought, oh, well, this is just something I can do for fun once in a while. And so I tried to find other locations around London. I tried to go to different places. And in that year, I managed to do between five to seven Mm pop-ups. And um so, yeah, it really was just sort of a build up and a build up. And the more I did it, the more I, I could see that it was possible to do this full time if I really wanted to. So what I wanted all of a sudden was to wake up every single day and just be in love with what I was doing. 100 percent in love. Amen. With it. Yeah, <laughs> it really was that. So it, it just came to a point where I thought, OK, now it's time to really sit down and figure out what are the steps I need to take to sort of get to a point where I can just confidently step into this fully. And so sort of listening to podcasts like yours was part of my process and just sitting down and carving out the time to really map out how I saw my future. So what then happened was I picked up on my cookbook project, which I'd had for over a year, but had been procrastinating with it. All of a sudden, I had this verve and this energy to really kind of get down to actually doing it. And I thought, okay, Plantain Cookbook, which is what it's called, by the way, Plantain Cookbook, 
this is an ingredient that I've used all my life. You know, it's very popular in Nigerian cuisine, but not many people really know about it. What mm. what new life can I breathe into this? Uh, and so I came up with 40 vegan recipes um, using plantain as the main ingredient. And I, wow. yeah, and so I, I would spend my evenings after work just kind of writing out the copy for it. And then I was worried. What worried me the most about it was the final um, quality of it, you know, with the photography, how was I going to do all that? Um, but I have a camera. I've been, you know, blogging for a while. And so uh, I did the photography myself as well. I sort of mapped out a schedule of the days that I needed to uh, to actually cook everything and photograph everything. And I remember for me, it was just this intense two weeks of, after work and weekends, what am I going to cook? And it actually came to a point where I was cooking so much, I couldn't actually keep up with it and had to start giving out the food to my friends and my housemates. (laughs) But, you know, I I just, I love the process so much. I, once I had that mental shift of this is what I want to do, I just ran with it. I, I was like, you know, it was a real passion project for me. And so I got the cookbook, um, all put together I looked at how I could get it available online as an ebook, as a physical copy, um, and then I released it. And uh, since then, it's been doing so well. And I launched it just to give you an idea. I launched it at the end of October, and since so we're talking three months ago. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, three months. Wow. And I am approaching about four thousand sales on it. Wow. Yeah. That's a, and what and do you sell it for? So I sell the ebook for £20 each. And then I have it on Amazon now. So that has also helped the sale. And I had a bookshop, not a bookshop, actually a vegan shop in Belgium get in touch with me uh, towards the end of November, sort of saying that they would like to stock uh, some of the books as well. Ah. And so my mind was so blown. I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. Now I'm going to share a piece from Jada Selner. She's a business mentor, serial entrepreneur, podcaster, best-selling author, and speaker. And when she came on the show, she talked about the five S's of building a sustainable business. There are so many juicy nuggets of wisdom packed in here. So I think it's definitely worth replaying. Here's what she had to say. So for me, I have like the five S's of building a sustainable business. So the five S's are share, sell, serve, systemize, and sustain. And the way that I like to start with people is being able to really get clear on your message of the share, right? Show your dance moves on the dance floor. What is the value that you are going to add to your community, even if they never decide to buy from you? So for us with Simple Green Smoothies, that was sharing free recipes on Instagram. Our Mm -hmm. dance floor was Instagram. With my personal brand and my coaching my free dance floor is the podcast and being able like, I just want to help as many people as I I can. And for those who want to take that next step in transformation. So that's where I like to start is like, what is that message that you are sharing with your community to add that value? Then the next piece is about selling and doing it from a place of service. I believe that selling is service for the people that, that need that work from you. Amen, sister. <laughs> I agree with that. And so being able to come up with what is that offer? What is that next step in transformation you want to create for people and actually letting people know that it exists because people cannot buy a secret. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
And then the next piece that then I work on is around um, the serving. So I just believe that when we're building community and when we are putting people first and we're building a business that we want to be profitable, that we really have to make it about transformation over just a transaction. And so really in serve, it's about not just taking someone's money and be like, great, back to marketing or sharing, but actually taking care of the people that gave you their hard-earned money and creating an amazing experience for them. Like, How can you surprise and love and delight the people that have given you their money? How can you go above and beyond and keep improving the product or the service that you have for that person? So being able to really not ignore that piece of the puzzle. And then we go into systemize, right? That's kind of where Simple Green Smoothies, creating that repeatable system where it's like you want to build that team to support you so that you can work in a space to grow your community and be the visionary in your business. And I think that piece is is so important. It's like for entrepreneurs, we constantly want to create and innovate, but we also need to make sure we have people that can sustain and maintain the machine of running a business so that we don't burn out. And then the last piece is sustain. And so this is about putting you first, putting, prioritizing your self-care, your relationships, your health on the top of your to-do list. Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs when building companies can burn out in the process when they're constantly overgiving. And, you know, there's that quote, you can't pour from an empty cup. So actually making sure that you one thing that I do inside my Love Over Metrics incubator is we do strategic quarterly planning and we talk about, you know, the three top projects, goals that you have each quarter, but we also create space for what are the commitments that you have to yourself, to your body, to relationships, to travel and honoring the capacity. Because I think many times, you know, they say that you overestimate what you can do in a year, but you underestimate what you can do in three. So I like to stretch the timeline of our ambition. And if you don't hit a goal right on time, don't lower your ambition, just extend the timeline. And now we're going to play a clip from our episode with the awesome Jessica Healy. She's the author of the best-selling book, Purpose, Find Your Truth and Embrace Your Calling. She's also an MBE recipient, a speaker, and an award-winning entrepreneur. And she said one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. I think it could change your whole paradigm. Take a listen. Just consider the possibility that the biggest obstacle between where you are now and where you want to get to is your opinion of how possible that is for you, as opposed to any real obstacle. I'd say just consider it, just consider it, because that's a start. That's so important. And it's so hard to hear because that means people have to take responsibility for that. Yes. And that's where the work comes in. But hey, you know, if we're willing to do the work, then we we can shoot through that. I mean, there's two ways of viewing it. It's like it it is hard to hear Mm. because we have to take responsibility. But the, the other side of that means that we're in control. Actually, it isn't anything external that's preventing us from getting there. It's us. Well, that's good because I can handle me, <laughs> you know, it, it, it puts the ball back in our court as well. So it's quite empowering. I remember my, my dad used to say um, he came to England in 1952, um, just before an influx of Caribbeans were invited over to England to help rebuild the country because it had been the war. And um, he 
when he got to the country, you know, it was a time where there was signs on public buildings which would say no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. And there was a lot of hostility, right? And um, he was one of the first. So he was a real sort of trailblazer. And he arrived in the country, was qualified to teach and His qualification wasn't recognized in the country. And so he ended up doing sort of, you know, being a bus driver and doing, you know, quite menial jobs. And I I remember him saying to me, you know, the color of my skin never prevented me from doing anything. And I used to think, how is that possible, Dad? Because you had so much abuse and so much, you know, you went through so much. And it's not until I was much older that I realized what he was really saying was that, he had a choice over how he allowed that's that right. abuse and that prejudice to impact him. Yeah, he had right. a choice. And, and, and that's the thing. You know, we can't, th- stuff happens, but we can take responsibility for how and who we allow that to make us become. Yeah. You know, we have that power. Yeah, that's really, really, it's really huge. I just say that there, there's more, there's more for you. It's waiting and um, take it from me. You know, it might feel like things are falling apart or you're falling apart and nothing's working and consider that perhaps this is where you are breaking through rather than breaking down. Um, This is your moment to step into what's waiting. So I hope you enjoyed hearing from all these special souls. And again, we're going to link to everything that they're doing in the show notes so that you can go follow them and give them some love. To each of these women, I want to say thank you for being such a light, for having the courage to be who you are, for making your voice heard. And because of that, so many people are following in your footsteps and building a life where they can fully show up and serve the world. Okay, here are the takeaways. Number one, you are not alone in your pain. There's hope that it will get better. Number two, you don't need thousands or even hundreds of followers in order to build momentum. Number three, buy more shares of yourself. Invest in your mindset. There's no cutoff to the return on that investment. Number four, wealth is not material possessions and money alone. Wealth is a condition of well-being. Number five, quit playing small. Think in favor of yourself instead of against yourself. Act as if everything will go in favor of you. Number six, no matter your age, step up, step out, and do your thing. Number seven, follow your joy. Commit to building a life where you can wake up every single day and be 100% in love with what you're doing. Number eight, sell from a place of service. Focus on the transformation, not the transaction. And number nine, just consider that the biggest obstacle in your way is your opinion of how possible that is for you. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know that there's so much going on and it means the world that you felt like listening to this show. I will continue to do my best to show up for you every single time to make a space for you. I can't tell you how much I love you guys and think about you constantly. If you found this episode inspiring or you felt like you learned something new, maybe share it with a friend. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Monday.
marched like a soldier.